fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. And we're here today to talk a little bit about some elk hunting, which David has been doing while I've been off fishing. So, you know, everybody knows we had a little bit of a break in September. We didn't do a whole lot as far as podcasting went because we were both busy with our respective uh, talents and skills that we like to do. And so one of those for you is obviously the elk hunting side. So I wanted to talk to David just a little bit about his elk hunting adventures. So David, you ready for this? Oh, uh, talk about elk hunting. I can probably do that indefinitely. All right. Well, let's get started. So David is one of those guys who looks forward to elk season every single year, and he's very good at what he does. He he won't toot his own horn, but I will because I get to see the pictures. But anyway, so David, tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys did this year and kind of where you went and how all the elk hunting went down. Well, we kind of had a whirlwind season for sure. Archery season's wrapped up now, and that's that's, you know, my bread and butter. That's what I love to do. And coming out of the doll sheep hunt, business was <laughs> slammed. Yep. I was buried and then trying to get everything put together for, we had, we had an epic trip. I had a couple guys that drew. And so we went, we went elk hunting and we, uh, we actually, we hired a camp cook this year. Oh, nice. We had three wall tents set up, took up uh, my whole string of horses and had the farrier come by in the midst of after sheep hunting and before it was, you know, two weeks of just pure work getting horses and gear and people and tents and food ready to go. But this is the first year I've ever had a camp cook. You know, normally it's mountain house and it's more backpack style. You know, we, we had a little bit different demographic of guys that had tags that wanted to come with me this year and I was glad to have them in camp and it was really neat to have the dynamic of we had you know four guys with tags and a cook so kind of broke into teams of two and switched it up every day with who we were calling and hunting hiking with had some success uh, elk hunting was tough you know, we had that storm really early rut was really early peak of the moon that moon yeah. phase uh, that we've had some discussions with biologists and people and i have my own interpretation and I, I really do think that the the amount of available daylight that the cow elk's retina receives pushes that rut forward and backwards in the month of September. Now it's still going to be in September every year no matter what but there's a there's some tips and tactics as far as how you hunt. You do a little more whitetail style hunting pre-rut and post-rut you they get they shut down pretty quick, but the, the peak of the rut is in same thing. Whitetail guys will know this and blacktail deer guys will know this. You know, you don't see a blacktail outside of dark 10, 11 months of the year. Middle of the rut, middle of November, there'll be one standing at noon in the middle of the field or road looking for, looking for love. So, <laughs> you know, elk are very similar and we had, we had some opportunities, uh, had some interesting stories. We had a, a bear problem. So that's always fun. Killed a really nice bull, you know, upwards of 350, nice six by seven, 10 yard shot, easy recovery, where it was at, got dark, team of guys left it on the ground. And I I went in and helped another guy, and we'll have him on the podcast later. I, I've known him, we hunt the same drainage, and I saw he was up there and he only had a few days. I said, hey, I've got my horses up here already, so if you need some help, holler, and 
well, lo and behold, second day of season, he comes pulling into camp and he said, hey, I need to uh, <laughs> need to take you up on your offer. And I, I, we had a good time getting in there, getting it out. It was about seven miles from his truck to where his elk was. And he'd, he'd left it on the ground. I was pretty concerned. I went in with uh, bear spray, two cans. I upgraded to a 10 mm in a chest rig. So I've got a Springfield made in Croatia, but it's got 15 rounds of 10 mm and it's, you know, on the chest rig right here. Yeah. And then I took the backup 12 gauge with slugs and buckshot and slugs and buckshot. Call me paranoid, but we had two different guys in September have uh, encounters with grizzly bears. Yep. One in Cody and one right up where I was at. So I was a little concerned going in that he'd left it overnight and. We got in there and we uh, we took the horses, rode up on it, and then we uh, we definitely made a lot of noise. You know, on the way in, we were super quiet. We actually had an elk encounter, and it's a little frustrating. I learned a hard lesson of uh, that elk heard us coming up the hill with the horses, and he was coming right to the trail. We tried to drop down into the into the little drainage he was in, and he wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to go right to. We made about a hundred eighty yard figure eight with that elk. Well, he ended up walking 20 yards past where we tied the horses up. I think if we just stayed where the horses was and called a few times, he would have come right to us. But anyways, we rode up on that elk, and he'd left his shirts and covered it and done decent. I mean, it was fine. We didn't have a bear issue. No bear had been on it. On the way out, though, we uh, we had to cross some pretty pretty nasty country, and the, the trail maintenance up there has really gone to pot lately. It's not... It, we, we cut our way in and some of those trails are just not in good shape but we went to basically where it's deteriorated to it's just a, a glorified elk trail it's no longer a pack trail and we had to you know i i didn't think anything of it i've been in in the mountains with horses quite a bit i got off and was leading them through this bad spot and it was just a, a creek maybe 30 yards wide and 20 feet deep and we had to drop down into the creek and then drop back up onto the trail well the second horse on the way out loaded with elk meat freaked out reared back and slipped off that trail and rolled down the hill oh geez well he was pig and tied with just some <clears throat> bailing twine to the first horse but he just jerked the first horse enough that his back feet slipped off the trail and he rolled down on top of the first horse i was pretty sure you know i've got a picture and it was as a you know, 15 foot, 20 foot drop at a really steep angle, steep enough that I couldn't walk down it. You know, it's a jump down there. And there was a, oh, I don't know, a, a picnic table sized boulder in the bottom of that creek that first horse rolled against, and he was upside down with the other horse laying on top of him. So oh, man. We got down there, and, you know, my knife wasn't as readily accessible as it needed to be. I've got these new knives that I'm promoting, and having a knife handy when you have horses around is, is pretty important. You, you may need to cut lead ropes and piggins and so it was just a it was a mess of horses and rope and gear and thankfully and i'm i'm pretty paranoid about putting horns on horses and i had the guy that had shot the bull was, had put the horns on his backpack just because of how thick the trees were i'm like we're you know we're either gonna have to cut 100 trees on the way out of here mm-hmm. or you can just put the horns on your backpack and weave through the the dog hairs timber and we'll just put them on later if they'd had horns on them it, i mean been a whole different deal so we got them unclobbered up and got them soloed up on the trail and got them reloaded and got them out. And, I mean, they're both home and alive and relatively that's, unscathed. That's a miracle. I mean, from what you're describing, I mean, it could have easily been a broken neck, broken leg, broken something. Oh. The, the one was sore for, for quite a while. He was we, we gave him pretty much the rest of the season off. He had to work a day or two, but. 
they're my pets, they're my family, they're my friends, but at the same point in time, I pay to feed them and house them and, and vet them all year. They're, they're going to work for elk season for me. That's just the yep. way it is. But yeah, that's knock on wood. That was by far the worst horse wreck I've ever been privy to. I've heard of some worse ones, but I, I don't want to do that again. We got that elk down and out and, you know, didn't have a bear problem. Two days later, we got that, uh, that 350 bull shot. And part of it was, is the guys are like, well, that other elk was laid on the ground. And it's a, it's a lot of work, Patrick, to, to hang meat in they're, a tree. I don't know how many of you have ever lifted an elk quarter, but they're not light. It's very difficult by yourself to try and, <laughs> with a piece of paracord, pull oh, one up man. a tree. It's. I think what I'm going to do is start actually packing a ratchet strap. And I, I learned this year elk hunting, not everybody knows knots. And yeah. to be an outdoorsman or a fisherman or a hunter especially if you're a horse guy, there's some knots you need to learn. Yep. I mean, that's important to be able to tie just a half hitch, to be able to tie a bowline, to be able to tie a few of these other knots. A clove hitch is a, it, it won't take you very long to learn. And the, the old adage, if you, if you can't tie knots, tie lots. That doesn't work when you're tying stuff on horses. So anyways, they left that meat on the ground and, you know, it, it turned out okay, but we had a bear issue. That, they'd shot that bull the night before. We went in the next morning to recover it. And I don't know if it was a black bear or grizzly bear. I have no idea. It was in timber that had about 10-yard visibility. It was a, it was maybe two, 300 yards off the meadow. You know, so I, uh, we rode horses in, tied most of the horses up, and I took one of the two that had been rolled down the hill, the one that was on top of the other one. The other, one that was on the bottom, was he, he got left at camp and make sure he was had some recovery time. But the one that... Uh, the one I took up with me, it was kind of interesting. We had a couple horses tied in the meadow, and I was trying to weave the one horse who he's he's pretty athletic and he'll you know, he'll jump logs and do whatever you ask him to do. So I'm just trying to get up to where they'd left this elk meet, and we got separated a little bit, the two of us. And my horse was nickering to the horses down in the bottom of the meadow, right? Because they're separated and they're they're a pack animal. Well, I'm hollering back and forth at the other guy trying to get back to his GPS spot, and when you're in the dark and you mark a spot and you leave, it looks different in the daylight when you're yeah. trying to get back in there. Lo and behold, we got there and they'd put all the quarters up on a couple logs, right? And left their shirt in there for smell. Well, that bear had uh, gone ahead and opened every game bag, rolled every piece of meat around in the dirt, <laughs> shredded the game bags. Of course. And he took the uh, backstrap bag with him with he, when he left. Yep. So... I'm a big proponent of hanging that meat. And what I think I'm going to start doing, because, you know, if you're solo and you kill a bull, which I wouldn't recommend where I hunt going solo, we've talked about this quite Absolutely a bit. Absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, it's probably going to happen with me as I'm, I'm not very smart. So I'm going to start packing a little ratchet strap because I'll be able to tie a couple bow lines in that paracord and be able to not probably use the ratchet strap feature, just be able to pull through it and use sure. it as a pulley to get that meat up the tree by myself. We got the meat out, got the horns out. <laughs> the The one guy was in there kind of wanting to play, you know, CI, CSI crime scene detective of what's going on, and I'm just throwing meat in panniards and throwing it in backpacks and saying, grab this. We need to get out of here yeah. now. And like I said, the, the meat was right on a small ridge. I stayed kind of to a small stream side of the hill going up he kind of got off to the other side. Well, with us hollering back and forth, and like I said, it's maybe 300 yards from where we tied the horses up, and having them horses whinny back and forth to each other, and I mean, they were they were loud about it. They weren't just 
I think that was enough commotion. And the other thing was the wind was blowing straight uphill. So that bear laying on that meat got a good whiff of us. And then, you know, you got two people, a horse and a guy coming from the left, a guy coming from the right, yelling back and forth. And we did have a, a lever action rifle with us and my shotgun was at that point in time, I didn't have the shotgun anymore because when the horses rolled down the hill, uh. that thing, uh, it didn't make it through that horse wreck. So that's my, uh, I bought that shotgun at 18 years old. That's my upland, beautiful, pri- you know, prized possession. And it, it got crunched pretty good, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it resurrected. So I just had pistol and bear spray at that time, but we did have that lever action. So well, and you were talking about 10 yards of visibility. Yeah, 10 yards of visibility. If a bear comes out within that 10, you're screwed. Like, you, you, you don't have time to yeah, do nothing. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. And that's why, like you said, it's so important to get that meat hung up. I mean, you just it's such a liability trying to get in there. Well, I mean, just, you know, I, I would like to have seen it moved to the edge of the meadow, hang it up high in the edge of the meadow. That way, 200, 300 yards across the meadow, or even see. 50 yards, I can yeah. look and start counting how many bags are hanging. And there's going to be a bear up on the gut pile, and I'm not going to go investigate. He he can have it. So two days later, we got some more snow and rain up there, and I got pictures, I've already posted them, of a sow and cub grizzly hiking up out of that trail, maybe a quarter mile from where we had that problem. So the likelihood of it was a grizz problem is pretty high. But again, it's two days before another guy got away with that scot-free. So, and he's done that for a couple of years. And I've done it once or twice before too, but it isn't worth it. Take the time, take 200 feet of paracord, learn some knots, and, and tie it up in the tree. The other one that I've kind of discovered, and I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but last year, I know with all the elk I was privy to, we did the gutless method. And if you haven't heard about that or done that, basically with a smaller game animal, you can gut them, throw them in the back of the truck, go home and process them with an elk especially where we're harvesting them there's no getting a pickup there ever so gutting them just releases that smell out into the air and those bears just cruise the river bottom smelling each drainage for that smell and then they're going to be on it so i really do believe that's going to bring bears to you faster now by not gutting them doesn't mean you're not going to not have a bear problem (laughs) i just think you have less smell that they can get on faster and so the gutless method you know, you, you remove the all four quarters, you reach in and get the tenderloins and then you pull the straps. And I mean, you get the neck and the brisket. You can, if you, you know, I basically skin them, lay them on one side, skin them, take everything off of that side, throw their hide back on them, flip them over and then do the exact same thing. So you're, you're getting all the meat and I'll, I'll argue that it's actually cleaner than gutting them. So it's faster, but we got that bowl and then we hunted hard and it, that was, you know, right after the opener. And then it, we got that full moon and then it turned hot, Patrick. You know, yeah, we'd had that warm. snow. It, it got up into the 80s and yep. the activity and the vocalization and it got shut down. We had a few more really good opportunities. But finally, uh, I, I got a small five five by six. He's fighting with another bull. We hung the meat, went and got the horses and got it out. I mean, got him at 10 in the morning and we were loading him on horses at three in the afternoon. But, you know, and I knew we were, we were quite a bit closer. Instead of seven miles, we were about three miles to the truck and the horses. I still said, you know, if we have another horse wreck, if maybe on the way out we run into another bull and we harvest it, and now we're working on it in the dark, I don't want to have meat. When I leave, (laughs) what what I leave on the ground is for the bears, and I don't want to go back to that spot. The smoke was also horrible. Oh, my goodness. This has been a crazy year. Intermixed in all this is I'm still working. Normally, David takes a couple weeks off, and it's just pure hunt, and this was... This was the first year where David had to 
I had work to do. So I was, uh, I was working a couple days during the week and actually working some pretty late shifts on the weekend. And I was, I was hunting hard, but I was also working. So that, that added a new level and dynamic to the whole situation, but I still got to sleep in the wall tent, have the wood stove and we ate fresh tenderloin over the wood stove. That's, that's pretty good. That sounds good. really good. So I would recommend, you know, this, like I said, this first year I had a camp cook and it was awful nice because there's a lot of days we're, we're hunting those meadows till dark, till the last moment of light because those elk like to come out of the timber and feed in those meadows the last magic hour, usually the last 15 minutes. So that means we're hiking four or five miles in the dark. You know, some places we're hiking two miles in the dark, but it's still an hour to two-hour hike in the dark, and then you got to hop in the vehicle and ride back down to camp, which is 15, 20, 30 minutes. So it was a lot of nights. It was 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I'm rolling into camp, and to have have the horses fed and watered and to have dinner on the stove ready, and more importantly is, you know, because I can make a mountain house or I can quick scramble some eggs and bacon. Not having to do the dishes was, it was pretty neat to be able to just, it, it was much more enjoyable and relaxing as far as hunting goes. So we got into, got into critters. It was a weird Weird year for sure, having that snow and then got hot. And then we had the bear problem, had the horse problem. Now, none of those were particularly exciting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, they're exciting, just not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. So I seen a couple monster bulls and I actually had one called in. I had one opportunity, a bull come in just, just on a string, came into 35 yards, but hung up. Collar was right behind me and just, there was one down trees coming through a relatively open part of the timber probably 50 yard visibility maybe 40 but there was one tree that blown down and he stood above that rip root wad looking down at me and he had roots covering his vitals and he needed to either go left or right and come another even five yards closer so that he wasn't straight on the wind waffled a little bit and he turned and you know normally i get a little more agitated but i just arrow was knocked i'm sitting there i'm ready and it was cool to be able to just witness this majestic animal that was coming to he was coming to kill me. He was upset. <laughs> that was actually, we were on our way out with that loaded elk, the first one, and he started firing off, and we bugled at him and cut him off a couple times. And that's that's something I've learned is uh, when they're being a little bit territorial, the, the easiest way I can describe this is if I stand across the street from your house and scream obscenities at you, Patrick, you're going to shut your front door and go in the house and just kind of be like, forget that guy. If I come stand in your living room and scream obscenities at you, you're going to do something about it. Yep. (laughs) And especially if I start cutting you off in the conversation. So once you get that bull to start answering you, if you cut him off, he's going to do one of two things. He's either going to shut up, leave, and grab his stuff and go, or he's going to come deal with the problem. And if he's the big boy, (laughs) he he came (laughs) 600 yards in, in a couple minutes, like three minutes. Now, we had to move 800 yards closer to him, got mm-hmm. him talking, and we shut up for a while, and then we started cutting him off, and we could hear him coming. And we were downhill underneath him, and he was coming. 35 yards, I just didn't feel comfortable with the shot, didn't take it. Like I said, the wind waffled, and he's just, he, he kind of figured something was up. And he was close enough to the collar. He's like, I should be seeing an elk. I don't see an elk. I smell something off. And he just, he slowly turned and slowly started walking uphill. And nothing you can do at that point. So Yeah. But you had success, and you got to be up in the mountains, and oh yeah, it was totally worth it. Oh yeah, I got my bullet forty yards, clean harvest, uh, no bear problems on mine. But <laughs> the uh, the rancher that grazed up there had had a little bit of an issue with their, his cattle got into some 
some plant that killed them. I don't know exactly what, but there was 20 cattle carcasses on that hillside That's from crazy. this spring. And every trail, I mean, <laughs> the bears had a smorgasbord all spring and summer in there. So they were just still in there. But normally we see, you know, a set of tracks occasionally. And it's usually on the main thoroughfare elk trails. Every little trail had bear tracks in there this year. I think it was just bear magnet city. So, but you know, I got to ride my horse. I got to pack elk meat. Uh, fresh tenderloin in a wall tent is pretty tough to beat. So, and now you got a freezer full of meat too. I do, I do, and we gotta we gotta get some more processed. I'm gonna try a. I tried a new recipe, and I've been pre-seasoning my backstrap with high mountain seasoning. Before I vacuum seal it. Is that that backstrap rub? Yep. So I'm I'm pretty excited because as that meat thaws, it's going to kind of marinate a little bit. But mm-hmm. more importantly, you know, when I get home in the evenings and it's time to cook dinner, all I got to do is zip that open. Throw it in the fridge the day before, let it thaw, zip that open, go throw it on the barbecue, and we're eating a little bit of vegetables and potatoes, and we're good. Sounds like we need to have a surf and turf meal where you cook the elk, I'll cook the walleye, and we'll, we'll have a little meal. Sounds sounds good to me. So, <laughs> no, you know, gear-wise for elk hunting, sharp broadheads are important, good optics. I'm running a Phelps reed calls and bugle tube, a cow call, a good sharp knife. I really am a believer in that. I already told you I, mine was in my pack, and with that horse wreck, it really needed to not be there. Well, tell everybody about this knife that you got for sale at bowspider.com because you showed it to me a little bit ago, and it's phenomenal. So I I, don't, I wouldn't say a partner. I just had a co-brand. It's a it's a bow spider branded knife made by Montana Knife Company. And Montana Knife Company was started by Josh Smith, and he was on Forged and Fire. And what really led me to this particular knife is the sheath it comes with. It's a it's a great knife, ball bearing steel, good profile. It's got a micrata handle. You know, it's a it's a comfortable handle. Obviously, I'm not a knife maker. I don't make it. He makes it. But we've got them bow spider branded. The sheath, however, though, is left or right-handed, and it's a Kydex sheath that's kind of a quick-release, tough sheath, but it kind of works like the bow spider. Your bow goes on your backpack quick-release. This knife can go on your shoulder straps, either one, or it can go on the hip belt, but I really like it right there on the shoulder strap, handle pointed down, so one second I can reach up, grab, and pull that knife, but because it's in that Kydex sheath, it's it's secure, it's safe, it's, it's out of the way until you need it. And it's a full-tang construction, so it's solid. Full-tang construction made in the USA, yep. finished by him and his family. So it's a great product. It's a great company. I'm really excited to be helping promote their product. I'm using it. I love it. I wish I would have had it. You know, I, I got them mid-season. If I would have had it, it would have been right there in my pack when I needed it, where I needed it. And usually I have a small pocket knife in my pocket, and I probably did or had, we had just got done helping put that elk in and up and whatever, and I'm sure I put a couple knives in the lid of my pack. Well, that when you need a knife right now, that's not the place to have one. So elk hunting was, <laughs> it was another one for the books. It was very memorable. You know, there's a couple pictures on Instagram of a couple of the bulls we harvested in camp, and the smoke did make it tough. It, it was hard to hike in. It was hard to breathe there for, there for a while, and then we got that snowstorm and rainstorm. It kind of knocked it down, but then it warmed right back up to 80 degrees. So It's been a crazy year, like even for the fishing this year, just because we have had a prolonged warm spell, is the best way to put it, you know, the, the longer 
actual fall. We don't usually get much of a fall here. Like everything's been off. The walleye patterns have been off. The elk patterns have been off a little bit, but I'm really glad you had success. That's always, that's always a big part of it. I know you and your family love to have that protein and seeing, seeing the pictures of the success. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what it, it just makes it that much better. Pictures are, it's, you know, I, I love the pictures and pictures are important, but I would trade no more pictures for just the experience. And more importantly than the experience is getting to relive that all winter with, you know, oh, elk tacos and burritos <laughs> and hamburgers and backstrap dinners with some walleye. Speaking of which, if if you guys haven't tried the High Mountain Chorizo, Oh my gosh! I made, I just had my pigs processed, and then I made a whole bunch of whole bunch of chorizo sausage. Oh my gosh, that stuff is dynamite! It's so good. You're gonna have to try some of that, but it's amazing, amazing stuff. Definitely check that out if you get a chance. So, because the elk's so lean, you know, when we're doing like a Friday evening cheeseburger yep. at the house, the elk likes to crumble and fall apart. So, there's kind of two things you can do. Either I take some of our because when we, we got our pigs to butcher, we'll We'll mix a little bit of that in with mm-hmm. the pork patty, but that that ruins the leanness of your elk meat. So if you want to be a little more health conscious, you can take a couple Ritz crackers and an egg, yep. crack that make in a, a binder. bowl, make a binder, put put your pound of burger in there with that, and a little bit of high mountain seasoning. I like to put the cheese right inside oh, there man. as well. Get some shredded ch- Tillamook and just you're killing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> put that on the grill, and it's it's already oh. seasoned. It's already got the cheese. It's pretty good. So. And if you like hot stuff, dice a jalapeno and throw in there too. Oh my gosh. See, we got to stop talking about food because I'm... Is it lunchtime? It's getting there. All right, everybody. Well, that was my uh, elk hunting <laughs> adventures. I survived. It, it. The horses made it. Again, we did pack three elk in a, a little over a week and some of them were several miles and lots of thousands of feet of elevation plus and minus like i couldn't have done horses. it with a backpack yeah that's oh, why yeah. you have horses so again everybody don't forget to go to ragcastoutdoors.com check out our past episodes if you want to educate yourself on bears uh, we have a really good one with dan thompson he'll tell you all about bears if you want to learn about archery elk david did a couple of special episodes on those so definitely check that out and Again, wherever you're listening to this podcast, it really helps us out. If you guys can go and subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff for us, that that's huge for us. And we just love being able to share a little bit about what we've been able to do with you guys. And we'll be coming back with more content here not too long. So if you want to check out one of those knives, you should definitely go to bowspider.com. Check out those knives. Support an all-American-made product. David would love it if you would go check that out, and I'm sure that Montana knives would also like that. So um, I, I'm not disappointed in the product, and I'm going to be. It's a phenomenal know. knife. Yep. So, so anyway, until next time, everybody, we'll see you again soon.